Uh, let's go to God in prayer as we open up our text this morning. God, we thank you so much for the time that we have to share and for the communion of saints that gather in this place and around the world, for a body of believers who share one thing in common, and that is the blood of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. May we be mindful of that sacrifice. May we be still for a moment, Father, as we open your word and, and, and study about who you are and about who you've created us to be. There's obstacles that Satan puts in our path that, that stand in our way that continue uh, to hinder us from hearing and seeing and acting on the way your spirit leads and the way your spirit guides. We throw up excuses, we throw up barriers, we throw up all kinds of ways in which we can't do what you've asked us to do. But I pray that you would remove those barriers for a moment. We know that they're not gone forever. We know that Satan will continue to bombard us with those things. But for a moment, may we see your spirit working within us. May we grow to be in tune with your voice so that when we leave this place, we will recognize how you call us, how you push us, how you draw us inward and nearer to you. May we seek out the ways to be your people in this world, to be light in the darkness and to allow your light to shine. We thank you so much for Jesus, for his sacrifice, and the bond of unity we have in his blood, and in whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, Genesis chapter 45 is where we're going to go to, and like I said, we've skipped over a portion of Joseph's life, right? Joseph, you remember we left him, he was put into prison. Um, he gets put into prison, and, and what we see very quickly is the same thing continues to occur. Joseph gets in a place that he didn't intend to be in, that nobody wants to be in, but very promptly he is elevated to a position of prominence. And very soon after Joseph gets put in prison, the warden realizes there's something different about this guy named Joseph. Something different happens when he walks into a place. Right? Because the same thing that happened in Potiphar's house happens in the jail. Not only does God continue to bless Joseph, but God continues to bless the people that Joseph is around, and the warden understands something, and he understands there's something different and unique about Joseph, and that he is trustworthy. Most people who come into a prison like this are not trustworthy, but a warden finds something unique in Joseph, and so he places Joseph basically second in command. He was second in command to Potiphar, second in command to the warden, and he will be second in command to the Pharaoh in just a few long years. But he's there. Just like we talked about last week, blessing follows him around. God continues to bless the people that Joseph is around. The warden sees this in him. Um, and he meets a couple of people, a cupbearer and a baker. And he interprets their dreams. And it's remarkable. And you remember one of them promises that he's going to remember Joseph when he is released. And he is released and years go by and he hasn't thought twice about Joseph until Pharaoh has a dream. And then Pharaoh has a dream and it just like a light bulb going off in his head. He goes, you know, I met a guy in prison. Stories like that don't usually start or finish the way we intended for them to. You know, maybe you get through that first phrase and go, man, maybe I should have started this different. I don't know. But I met a guy in prison. His name is Joseph. Before you sell him short, talk to the guy. He interprets dreams like nobody I've ever seen before. 
And Joseph interprets the Pharaoh's dream in a way that even his seers and his wise men couldn't. And so he comes into Pharaoh's house and he is placed in charge of Pharaoh's affairs. There's famine in the land. And in Genesis 45, the ultimate revenge is going to be laid as a possibility at the feet of Joseph. Genesis chapter 45 and verse 1. You see, uh, Joseph's brothers have come begging for food because of the famine. And because of the dreams that, that Joseph interpreted, Egypt and the Pharaoh is prepared for just this kind of thing. And so they come and they need food. And here is Joseph looking at his brothers, the ones who sold him into slavery, the ones who threatened to kill him, the ones who lied to their father about his death and about his very existence. And now he has a choice. Mercy or revenge. Forgiveness or payback. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all of his attendants. And so he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there will be five more without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made Um, He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Return quickly to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. You can settle in the land of Goshen and you can be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your sheep, your cattle, and all that you have. There I will sustain you, for there will be five more years of famine. Otherwise, you, your household... And everything you have will become destitute. Look, your eyes, um, you, look, your eyes and my brother Benjamin's eyes can see that it is I, Joseph, who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all my glory in Egypt and about all that you have seen, and bring my father here quickly. And then Joseph threw his arms around Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. There's a different perspective here that Joseph comes with. Maybe one that takes some time to gather. You know, the young Joseph would have stood up in front of his brothers and said, (laughs) I told you my dream would come true. Get off your knees. You're bowing to me. Just like my sheaves of grain. Just like the stars in the sky. Remember my dream? I told you it was true and you threw me in a pit because of it. 
See, Joseph's grown to understand something in his experience in life. And the perspective that he deals with here is this one who looks and says, you know what, it wasn't you who put me in the pit. God sent me ahead of you because he knew. He knew that Israel would need an ally in Egypt. And he has called me to be your savior. Therefore, what you meant for harm, God has used for his good. He sent me ahead of you to preserve a remnant of his people. Because God is faithful. But you see the hurt that he deals with. That You know, I, I come back to this illustration because it's a beautiful illustration from the Lion King. We talked about it in our church and culture on Sunday night, right? When Simba is, is off in the, he's kind of living his life because he's afraid. He's away from home. And Rafiki comes and finds him and he says, you need to come home. And he says, I can't come home. He goes, you don't know what I've done. Rafiki smacks him over the head with his little cane, and he said, ouch, what'd you do that for? And he said, doesn't matter, it's in the past. And Simba says, yeah, but it still hurts. See, the pain doesn't always go away. And we've all been hurt, right? We all deal with different forms of hurt, of pain, of agony. We've all been hurt. We've all dealt with pain. And, and just because we move past a sin, just because we move past a mistake, past a circumstance, doesn't mean that the pain no longer exists. The pain of sin, the hurt of life, lingers. But that doesn't relinquish us from our responsibility, from our obligation as children of the King to be forgiving people. To be people of forgiveness, to be people who pursue avenues of forgiveness in our own life. I'd say it's one of the, the most heartbreaking phrases that I hear. You know, we watch, we watch a lot of crime dramas and listen to a lot of, you know, live, real crime podcasts. Watching news stories. And inevitably, they'll, they'll interview a family of someone who's been murdered, who's been killed, or who's had a crime against them, and they'll say something like, I will never forgive them for what they have done, and my heart breaks. My heart breaks because what I realize at this moment, maybe because it's not my situation that I, that I don't know how to impart to them, is why would you allow this evil act to now consume more of your life? Because not only have they taken your loved one, but they're beginning to take your soul if you can't find it in your heart to forgive. And maybe we say those things because we don't understand a lot about forgiveness. I believe Joseph has forgiven his brothers even though the pain lingers. Because here's what I know about people with unforgiving hearts. They don't generally live at peace there is some kind of turmoil that resides within them that they just aren't able to let go or to release. And if you look at Joseph, everywhere Joseph is, he finds peace. He finds peace as a slave. He finds peace as a prisoner. He finds peace in Pharaoh's household. 
a place where he belongs, a place where he can live, a place where he can breathe, a place where he can faithfully serve God. And he can look at his situation and say, you know what, this is not where I would choose to be, but whatever I am in, wherever I am at, whatever I am doing, I will be faithful to God and God will be the one who continues to bless my life and the lives of the people that I come into contact with. And and people who aren't people of forgiveness don't live that way. And so I believe, even though we see how deep the pain and the heartache is with Joseph over his brothers and, and the loss of his family, I think you see a spirit of forgiveness in Joseph. And you see it in the way it plays out, in, in, in the way he handles his brothers. The pain is there and the pain is real and we can't continue to to deny the pain or pretend that it doesn't exist. And sometimes, just when you think you've put it away, maybe even decades later, something happens and just rips that scar open again and reminds us of the pain that still exists from our previous experiences. Sometimes it's our own sin. Sometimes it's the sin of others. The truth is this, the pain is real, and the pain lingers, sometimes for a moment, sometimes for a lifetime. But even in the midst of that pain, we must be a people of forgiveness. Because over and over again, what we see in, in Scripture, through the teachings of Jesus, through the teachings of Paul, through the, through the examples that we've been given, is that we are to forgive in the same manner that we have been forgiven Paul describes the grace of God as a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing, will be poured into your lap. We had a teacher at Memorial Road. Um, His name was Skip, and I remember him talking about um, this passage, and and as he talked about it, he he referenced a a milkshake. He said, you know, if, if I go to Brahms and order a milkshake... How do you want your milkshake served? You know, do, do you want to have this big cup and have it just be half full? Because now you don't want that. Not just because you paid for more, but because if I'm getting a milkshake, I want all the milkshake that I can have. And, and he said, he goes, I imagine the way I make a milkshake at home where, you know, it's just overflowing and it's running down the outside of the glass. And you don't wipe it off with a napkin. You like lick the edge of the cup because you don't want to waste any of it. Overflowing. Like the measure of grace that has been afforded to you and I, the measure of forgiveness that has been afforded to you and I is so vast, it is overflowing that we are offered more than we need even. God has come so far to forgive you and to forgive me. And he says, as you have been forgiven, so you must also forgive. For with the measure that you use, it will then be measured back to you. And look, guys, I don't want God to be stingy with forgiveness on me. I can't afford it. There is too many places, too many paths, too many moments where I have gone wrong for God to be stingy on His forgiveness with me. He says, my people are forgiving. For with the measure that you offer this to others, it will be measured back to you. We forgive as we have been forgiven. How much have you been forgiven? 
Psalm 103 and verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our transgressions from us. And I wish I could remember who sings the song. They play it on Caleb all the time. And it says, Jesus, tell me just how far the east is from the west. You know the next line? From one scarred hand to the other. How far is it from the east to the west? You know, he references this psalm, as far as the east is from the west, so your sins has been cast away from you. Well, how far away have my sins been cast? And Jesus says this far. It's paid for. You need not worry about those anymore. You just need to worry about who you are and how you will live. Isaiah 38, 17 says, Your love has delivered me from the pit of destruction, for you have thrown all my sins behind your back. And guess what? He said, God doesn't look back. He said, your sins are in the past. They're behind my back. Isaiah 43, 25, God says, it is I who sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. You see, God has the opportunity, the ability to do something that you and I don't have, which is put them away and remember them no more. Forgive and forget may be the biggest lie you've ever been taught. Because as humans, we don't really have that ability. But God does. I remember your sins no more. So let's talk for a moment if we're really going to truly understand forgiveness, okay? Because we've been given this example of Joseph. Joseph, who had every right to, yes, give his family food and provisions as he did everyone else in the nation, but to stand up there and say, looky, looky. Well, look what the cat dragged in. (laughs) But instead, he offers forgiveness and mercy. Jesus says, you are to offer forgiveness and mercy. If we're going to be people of forgiveness, we need to understand some things about forgiveness. Let's go through this. Forgiveness is not a feeling, okay? It's not an emotion. Emotions you can't really control. You have emotions, and they come, and they go. No one can tell you your emotions are right or your emotions are wrong because your emotions are your emotions and very little of any control you have over the emotions, over the feelings that arise within you. You do have control over the way you deal with those emotions and the way you deal with those feelings, the way you act on them or react to them. And not only that is there are often times I don't feel like forgiving you and that doesn't matter. I put the pain away. I put my own feeling away, and we forgive because we have been forgiven. It's not a feeling. And I don't have to feel right to offer forgiveness. It's not approving. See, sometimes we get this in our head that if we have forgiven someone, then we approve of the behavior that we have forgiven, and that's just simply not the case. Forgiveness isn't really about you at all. It's about me. Forgiveness isn't about your action at all. My forgiveness is about my action who I am called to be, and the way I am called to respond. Hmm. Get a little excited there, I guess, backing up. Um, It is not feeling, it is not approving, and it is not excusing, okay? Forgiveness doesn't mean we say, you know what, everything's okay. You couldn't help it. I forgive you is not an excuse, and it doesn't offer someone an excuse to go further, uh, 
with what happens. And, and, and in the same way, it's not reconciling either. Right, I have known people that have forgiven other people of, of crimes and atrocities that may never offer a path of reconciliation. Abuse, mistreatment, things that have violated other things in a very personal and intense way. I can offer forgiveness without offering reconciliation. Without excusing or approving their behavior. I can offer forgiveness when I don't feel like it. And that doesn't mean that just because I have forgiven someone means that now we got to be happy-go-lucky, walking hand-in-hand through the fields, and skipping and singing joy to the world. But only at Christmas time. No, forgiveness means that I have relinquished my right to continue to be hurt by your behavior. That doesn't mean I stop experiencing that hurt, but it means I relinquish the right to hang on to it. And it is not forgetting. Forgiveness doesn't mean we have to forget. We can't forget. We talked about that a moment ago. God can forget. You and I can't forget. The pain is real. The pain lingers. The hurt moves on and carries on. And we can't get rid of that. It's one of those things that we can't control. But we can control the way we respond. Just because I remember something doesn't mean I have to act on it. Just because it affects me in a way doesn't mean I can't be honest in the way that it does. So if that is what forgiveness is not, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a decision. You see, here's the thing about this little deal they call free will. You get to choose. You get to choose. That was Dustin's favorite comeback. Didn't matter if it was green beans or behavior. We told them very early on. We always taught our kids, you have a choice. You can do this or you can do this. And I think it was one day we're at the, at the kitchen table and um, he didn't want to eat his green beans. And I said, you know, we said, Dustin, you're going to eat your green beans. And he said, I have a choice. I said, you're exactly right, son. You do have a choice. You can eat your green beans, and we can go on, and we can be happy, or you cannot eat your green beans, and it will be miserable for you today. You do have a choice. When it comes to forgiveness, you have a choice. You don't have to forgive. You don't have to be a, a person of forgiveness, but the, Jesus says on more than one occasion, oh, you're going to want to be people of forgiveness. Because people of forgiveness are people who are forgiven. It is a decision. It is keeping no record. All right? That doesn't mean that you approve. It just means that you stop keeping score. You stop lording over that scorebook. Like when you get into um, a a disagreement with someone, you you don't start pulling things up from the back because forgiveness means we don't keep a record of those wrongs anymore. We don't hang on to the past because we put it behind us and we were in the process of moving on. This forgiveness is refusing to punish because it is not my place to punish. Forgiveness has taken myself out of a position where we demand punishment. We can ask for justice. 
We can seek justice, but it's not about punishment, revenge, and how that makes me feel vindicated. It's turning that over to the appropriate authorities, even if that means simply just turning it over to God and saying, God, I need you to deal with this because I can't. Refusing to punish. Forgiveness is living with consequences and not being embittered by it. But understanding that there are some times in life, whether it be by our choice or someone else's or just some simple act of living in a fallen world, forgiveness means that whatever lies in front of me, I have forgiven you and whatever comes may come. I will deal with the consequences as they come, but I will be forgiving, dealing, living with the consequences. And maybe this is one of the things we underestimate most about forgiveness. It is ongoing. How long and and, and how constantly do you think Joseph had to work to offer forgiveness to his brothers? To offer forgiveness to a baker who forgot him. To offer forgiveness to a master who he gave his whole life to and gave everything to for believing what a woman um, would say in the throes of passion what, what, what his wife would say in a, in a lie about him for not believing the man that he had come to know and to love in the way that he served his family for all those years. And he threw him out like yesterday's garbage at the drop of a hat. It is an ongoing process to forgive. See, Joseph teaches us a lot of things. Maybe one of the greatest examples that we have in the life of Joseph is this mentality, this attitude of forgiveness. Of one that says, you don't deserve it, but this is who God has called me to be. And while, I, while, while Joseph chooses to be faithful to a lot of things above everything else, he chooses to be faithful to God. Will you be faithful to God? Will you be a person of endless forgiveness? That's who we are called to be. Forgiving people, forgiving people.